So Money, episode 930, Daniela Pierre Bravo, co-author of the book, Earn It, and booking producer for MSNBC's Morning Joe. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. When I was applying for colleges, I was really excited in a small town in Ohio, excited to go out to other states and kind of um, make my, um, my own way. But I realized I was undocumented while I was applying for um, scholarships and my family didn't make much. My parents were always working two and three jobs. They were really never home. And so the whole process, I had to sort of figure it out themselves. Then I found out that actually I didn't qualify for any loans because I didn't have any paperwork, that I couldn't apply for any SAS benefits because I didn't have any paperwork. And so from the start, it was really going to be an uphill battle. Our guest today climbed that uphill battle and is now an author and a producer in New York City. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Happy Monday, August 26th, the last unofficial week of the summer, because then it's what? Labor Day and pumpkin spice lattes and knee-high boots. I'm kind of looking forward to that. Our guest today is Daniela Pierre Bravo. She's the co-author of the new book called Earn It with Mika Brzezinski as co-author. Daniela is a booking producer on MSNBC's Morning Joe and a contributor for NBC News Digital's Know Your Value. Together, their book Earn It is a primer for women who will be running the world, whether from the newsroom, the boardroom, or the highest levels of government. That's a quote from Valerie Jarrett, former senior advisor to President Obama. I wish I had this book when I was starting out in my career career, it really gives straight talk advice for millennial women in the workforce. Now, our guest, Daniela Pierre Bravo, is highly accomplished today, but there was no opportunity handed to her. Moving to the United States from Chile when she was a teenager, she discovered later in life, as she was applying to college, that she was undocumented, unable to work, drive, or receive financial assistance for college. She did become a Dream Act student, and she took that opportunity to side hustle her way through school to graduate on time and get this, debt-free. That drive has continued to support her in the workforce as she adds author now to her list of credentials. Very excited to share her story and learn from Daniela Pierre Bravo. Daniela Pierre Bravo, welcome to So Money and congratulations on your book with Mika Brzezinski. Thank you so much and thanks for having me. So I was saying before we came on the on the line that, you know, your book that you co-wrote with Mika, both of you work at MSNBC, is called Earn It. And it's mm-hmm. really how about to master your professional and somewhat financial life in your 20s and beyond, starting with knowing your value. And um, I know that Mika is very prolific and has talked a lot about knowing your worth. Why do you think the two of you really synergize so well on this project? I know that you work with her, but what do you think it was about this collaboration that made it so, so right? Yeah, I think having like two generational perspectives on this idea of um, knowing your value and 
not only that, but doing what you need to do at the beginning of the workplace is really important. Um, obviously, Mika has written tons of, of other books and, and she has kind of... Um, figured out how to close her own gender pay gap, which is what she wrote in one of her first books. Um, this book is really about how young people um, entering the workplace and even in their late 20s and early 30s, how they can kind of cement those primary years to really be able to have the groundwork to ask for what they're worth and advocate for themselves. And what we found that it's a continuing thing that needs to be done right out of the gate. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's tough, right? Because when you're coming into the workplace, you don't really have value, right? And compared to your colleagues have, that have had tons of different experiences um, before you. And so you're trying to be scrappy, you're trying to look eager while at the same time trying to figure it all out and get paid what, what you're worth. So um, that's really what Earn It is about is, mm-hmm. is earning your, your value and, and, and not only that, but then showing it. And, and vocalizing it when the time is right. And what we found is that young people really need to start doing that from day one. And there are certain ways to do it correctly. Well, let's talk about some of those ways. But first, let's go into your backstory a little bit, because uh, while this book, on the one hand, is about everything you just outlined and knowing your value and and being an advocate for yourself, your personal story has really been, I think, as I've been watching some interviews and reading articles, such the draw because it is such a unique circumstance with which you were raised. Now, let me just give listeners some background on you a little bit. So you were born in Santiago, Chile. And when you were a teenager, your family came to the U.S. and settled in a small town in Ohio, uh, though you realized sort of as you were getting older that you didn't have um, a lot of the same, you know, legal uh, privileges as others do in the United States as citizens. Tell us about, I don't want to, get to give it all away, but tell us kind of what unfolded and what you discovered. Yeah. So when I was applying for colleges, I was, you know, I was really excited um, in a small town in Ohio, excited to go out to other states and kind of um, make my, um, my own way. But I realized I was undocumented while I was applying for um, scholarships and my family didn't make much. My parents were always working two and three jobs. They were really never home. And so the whole process, I had to sort of figure it out themselves. Then I found out that actually I didn't qualify for any loans because I didn't have any paperwork, um, that I couldn't apply for any uh, FAFSA benefits because I didn't have any paperwork. Um, And so from the start, it was really going to be an uphill battle. Um, And so you know, finances for me, I was very acutely aware of what I didn't have from a really early age um, because we were often struggling. And going into college, um, you know, it was a struggle from day one. I started college without knowing how I was going to pay um, in cash, right? Because I I wasn't um, able to get loans and I didn't know how I was going to pay it. I took it literally a week, every week at a time. And I had to take off semesters here and there. I had a really low point um, where I lost everything that I had saved, um, in one summer. And then, um, you know, my last semester before I graduated college, I, and this is a story I told Mika on a plane ride two years into working together, um, and kind of really was catapult for this book, um, because I was in Ohio last semester before I graduated, I miraculously graduated from college, um, without any debt. 
And I um, was applying anywhere and everywhere I could in New York City because I knew that that was the place where if anywhere I could make it, it would probably be New York, New York City. At the time, I was still undocumented. And I lied on my resume and said that I lived in New York City um, because I didn't want the hiring manager to, to give excuses for themselves uh, to not give me the interview. All I wanted was the interview um, because the interview started in two weeks it was unpaid and I was in the middle of Ohio. So I lied about where I lived. And so what did they do? They called me <laughs> and they were like, can you come in tomorrow? Um, here I am in the middle of the cornfields, still oh in of Ohio. And I'm like, okay, how do, how am I going to do this? So I ended up getting on an 18 hour bus ride, nine stops through the night because I couldn't drive. Obviously I couldn't get on a plane and I got to Gross, stinky Port Authority. Have you been to Port Authority before? Um, the bathroom? Believe, yes. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Welcome <laughs> to so New York. I, exactly. That was my welcome. That was my first time in New York City. And I had no idea where I was going. I just kind of changed, cleaned up in the bathroom, and ran to the internship interview. Um, it was an internship that was unpaid, but it was at P. Diddy's Bad Boy Entertainment, a very small marketing agency at the time. I had a, like a minor in marketing. So I really try to juice my experience as much as possible. I ended up getting that internship that summer and, you know, uh, moved to New York City two weeks after that. Again, I was still paying for my last semester of college. I had no idea how I was going to pay to live in New York City for that summer while on top of that having two unpaid internships, but you know, you make it work and I pay, I worked, you know, four side jobs. I did things like other, you know, people my age would do like babysitting and, and dog walking, which I found on Craigslist. Mm-hmm. But, um, weirdly it wasn't that sketchy at the time. Um, cause that was before all these other platforms came, came about, but you know, I really hustled. I worked in bars and, uh, and club promotion promoting. So I really made it work. And so the basis of it was that um, for this book is, you know, if you work really hard, if you're scrappy and if you're creative about the opportunities that you don't have and you seek them out, then it's inevitably going to lead to some sort of success. And then you build from there. I mean, this is such an incredible story. And, and I know that maybe listeners are wondering along the way, like, well, what were the jobs that you took to pay off your college expenses? And you were a Mary Kay consultant. Um, you worked as an independent contractor. You were building your own team as a senior sales consultant there. Like this, mm-hmm. how old were you? I was 18. Oh my and gosh. the funny part is that the funny part is that I had a Mary Kay consultant when I was you know, like 16 and, 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 and 17. And I was, um, waiting to turn 18 so that I could, I could, um, buy that $99 kit from Mary Kay and start my business because I knew, I knew that it was going to be an uphill battle because I was undocumented. And at the time there was no law or no, um, person in, in an authoritative figure that would, that was saying, you know, if you work really hard, then there's this pathway for you. Right. I had no idea DACA was going to come out until like it came out. And so I was really trying to figure things out, struggling financially a lot, while at the same time trying to be creative about the opportunities that you made for yourself in a world where everybody around you didn't believe that you were ever going to have a chance. Um, so even in college, like I had, um, it was, I, I was at a really low point. I mean, I, I needed a guarantor for uh, my loan for college and I, I couldn't find one because 
I figured out that people looked at me and said, you know, she might be smart and she might be a go-getter, but at the end of the day, she's probably going to graduate with a degree that's not going to take her anywhere because she doesn't have a work permit to work in this country. And so it was a lot of not only kind of defying um, people's expectations, but also trying to figure out a really deep part of you where you realize, okay, you are literally the only person that is going to change your situation and the only person that's going to dictate whether you sink or swim. Mm -hmm. And I had to be that person. So if I had to scrub the floors and work night shifts, cleaning, um, you know, rectories or, you know, going with my mom to clean houses and, um, all of these like side side jobs, I, I was going to do them because it was my glimmer of hope. And so I think from a really young age that has allowed me to be acutely aware of my finances and has really dictated, you know, how I approach them to this day. And we should mention too that eventually, um, just before graduating college, you you spoke earlier about not having a work permit and people being wary of that and not maybe being your co-signer or your guarantor. But you did um, manage to become a part of the Dream Act um, and be a student um, as Obama. That was Obama's um, executive order, Uh, so you're able to retain a work permit through that. I mean, that's you must have felt so. I mean, that's just like. Like the luckiest thing. That's like such a lucky break in some ways, right? I mean, I just, I just can't even believe it because I, I know that may sound like a kind of insignificant, insignificant thing to have just a, a, the, the, um, the ability to have a state ID, but you know, so many things that you know, I, I um, saw other people have, you know, taken for granted that they t- maybe took for granted, whether it was driving with a license or flying on a plane, like all these things. And it's really crazy when you are so embedded in a culture. Like I feel so American, right? Because I grew up here and I, I um, went to a school where I was the only Latina in my high school and the only Latina in my grade. And so there was a certain type of stigma growing up where not only was I have a different background, but just a totally different um kind of subgroup where I, I was in the shadows for a, a long time. Mm. Uh, I, I didn't come out um, as uh, a DACA recipient until I wrote about it in a piece um, for NBC Latino. And that was when I already had my, my job here at NBC. Um, so that was really, I mean, I can't explain to you the type of um, immense gratitude and just kind of overwhelming sense of joy that came when, when I was sitting at my, um, cubicle at my internship at Bad Boy Entertainment and somebody texted me texted me and said turn on the TV and Obama was um, you know speaking I think it was from from the oval uh, the, the garden that he usually speaks at to give addresses and he said the the executive action that he was going to implement and it changed everything in just like a matter of seconds it's it's, wow. the, it's the thing that has changed my life for forever and you're changing lives. I mean, I think your story is, is inspiring so many people. And we started this conversation with the, you know, the, the goal of your book that you co-wrote with Mika about encouraging young people to um, identify and really own their worth. And I think that is such a challenge when you're young and you're not confident yet because you don't feel like you have enough experience. And maybe you're feeling just happy to be there because it's a competitive job market and you don't want to, you know, um, 
create controversy by asking for a raise. This is all the internal dialogue. I'm, I'm sure that is going through so many young people's heads. And how do you cut through that? And can you give us some tips on how maybe your peers and in, in that are trying to you know work their way through their careers can land in a place where they feel more confident and can actually voice and be an advocate for themselves? Totally. I think um, the imposter syndrome is a huge thing that I had to really combat from day one because you, you hear me talk about all the experiences that I've had and I'm so grateful to have them. Like I was so grateful to be able to walk dogs for my unpaid internship. And and, and so this, this kind of idea of being so grateful just to be there was a great thing, right? Because when you're young, you're eager. Um, but then you get into like the second and third, you know, phases of your career I and mean, the second and third year of your career. And you have to be able to differentiate from the fact that you were just grateful to be there to really owning what it is that you bring to the table. And one of the things we always tell young people is to detail all of the work that they're doing. Um, and it's tough, especially being a young woman uh, with all of like the the crazy un, untrue stereotypes that many people about the other generations put on millennials. Like they're, you know, impatient and um, that they're narcissistic and all this stuff. So there's certainly the right timing to do it, um, to ask for more. But from the start, I think that women should own the fact, you know, whether you're the first Latino or whether you're the first person of color in a room, um, just own that fact and know that you bring so much value to the table just by being there and own your space. That's the first thing I say. And then for the imposter syndrome, specifically when you're negotiating for more money, because that's really what matters at the end of the day is your ability to ask for more, is to, again, detail everything that you've done from the moment you walked in. Because I think as we were doing this book, we were trying to figure out what were some of the things that young people, both men and women, were having the hardest time combating when it came time to ask for more. And I think timing was something that was very um, scenario-specific to each person. And a lot of people ask, you know, you know, when's the right time to ask for more? And I think it's totally up to the environment that you work in. Um, for example, in my own situation, I came into a role where a lot was um, a lot was asked of me. Like I was working overtime hours like crazy. I, I I was the first person to the studio. I was managing the set in the mornings, and then I would leave the office around noon. And then for the rest of the day, I was dealing with publicists to help, you know, with the logistics for the next day. And I wasn't done with my day until like literally 10 p.m. So it was a it was a straight 4 a.m. To, to 9 to 10 p.m. job. And so that could have easily, for somebody in my situation, like so many other young people do, they come in, they're so grateful for the opportunity to work for a live show. But if I hadn't documented that uh, uh, a year and a half or two years and said, you know, when the time for a promotion came and if I didn't had, I hadn't vocalized all of the overtime that I had been getting, um, because my when I or I switched from overtime to salary, obviously that that um, the amount that they were able to give me was lower than what I had was getting from my other job. So I had to make a decision on whether I was going to take a promotion for lower pay, and I had to really find the words and you know all of the details of the value that I brought to really impart that with my boss. Um, so detailing everything that you've done is so so important. And then um, the last thing I would say when it comes to um, getting what you're worth at a young age 
is don't take no for an answer. I think so many of us are sort of um, dissuade with the first no that we hear that we immediately think, okay, then I'll never be able to go back and ask my boss again. Ask again in three months, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of it has to do with how the company's doing um, or, you know, what the headcount is at the office. And so don't take no for an answer. Just kind of adjust um, what your pitch is or what you're asking for to kind of um, comply with what with what your with what your boss is, is um, asking you to do. So whether it's, you know, asking for what it is that you need to change in your role or you need to be working towards is really important because you should always go back and ask says the queen of resilience. You are such an <laughs> inspiration. I, I would love to go back in time. What's a, let me ask this. What was, there, was there a memory growing up about money or maybe about work that was a real le- learned lesson? Um, because it sounds yeah. like a lot of your rationality around this and you seem very level-headed and like su- super determined is part of your like kind of upbringing. So was there, what were some of those moments? You know, because clearly like I think your parents ta- raised you incredibly well. What did you learn? Thank you for calling me level-headed. I remember being very neurotic and anxious as a kid. Pers- yeah, you were no, determined, but, no, which was, made you do some yeah. so crazy things. But, you know, like... Yeah, I mean, I think when you're in a situation where you're literally on rock bottom, you just kind of have to know that the only way up is to kind of take yourself in any way out of that situation. But, you know, a lot of it has to do with your mental state. And I obviously, you know, I didn't realize that I was suffering with anxiety until now, until I had the time to reflect back on that period of my life. Um, And I remember you asked me about a specific memory. I remember um, it was the summer after I finished my freshman year of college. And I was so excited because I had no idea how I paid for that first year of college um, because I didn't, I mean, again, I was paying everything cash. Um, I didn't have any loans. I didn't have any, you know, government scholarships. And so I was literally paying cash and it was little by little that I was, um, and I was always late, by the way, my mom was always having to call the bursar's office because, you know, to help uh, asking them to extend my time and not pull me out of classes. But um, it was the summer before I got into my sophomore year of, of college, and I was really excited because I had got into all of the extracurricular groups, right? The mock trial. I was in a business fraternity that I was pretty tough to get into. And so I was really excited to go back to school. And that summer, I had worked, um, you know, at um, as, um, you know, in, in restaurants and cleaning. And I was I had saved up like two $2,500 or about $3,000 to make like the first semester or the first half of the semester work. Right. And I was out on Mary Kay deliveries because at that time my business, um, I was working my Mary Kay business uh, all the time. Um, and I, as you mentioned, I had a team that I was building and I was out for deliveries. I, I obviously shouldn't have been driving cause I didn't have my license, but I didn't have any other choice because I couldn't make deliveries otherwise. And I am turning and I send her bend this car in front of me and I ended up getting out of the car and I went up to the owner and in no position to argue with the owner, I asked them to name their price um, for the damages. And they had said 
$3,000, which was money that I had saved, that I scraped all summer working mm-hmm. like nonstop to go back that sophomore year. And I remember my mom picked me up um, after that fender bender and we went into an empty raised parking lot and just sobbed uncontrollably. And I think that was a really hard moment to see my mom in because like most moms who work hard, who try to provide for their kids and just like really sacrifices a lot. She's always been the one that says, you know, we're going to get through this. There's always going to be a way. That was the first time my very unemotional mother like just broke down. Hmm. And I, that was a moment where I think we both thought, you know, maybe there is no way up from here. Like maybe this is just it. And that was a horrible night for me. I like went home. I was like pounding the ground, sobbing uncontrollably because I thought no matter what I do, no matter how hard I work, there's just no way for me to make this work. I'm undocumented. I can't finish college. There's just no way forward. And I remember going to sleep that night, um, waking up the next morning and being so clearly, uh, my, my vision for what was going to happen was so clear. I, w- I decided to take myself out of denial and say, okay, I'm not going to go back to school at least this semester. I'm going to ramp up my hours with Mary Kay. I'm going to go, you know, restaurant to restaurant if I have to with my resume. And I, for six months, I worked a solid like eight in the morning to 10 p.m. at night job, you know, scraping floors, you know, working at uh, restaurants, working my Mary Kay business like a business as an 18 year old and, and looking at tutorials on YouTube. And I ended up getting back to school the summer after that or the semester after working on those odd jobs and eventually finished college um, and debt free. So that was one of the realizations were, and this is what I tell all young people, despite the fact that they might not be undocumented or maybe they live in the middle of Ohio, or maybe they think that because that path isn't paid for them, there's always a way to make it work. If you're clear visioned and you put yourself first and understand that you are the only person that can create the narrative that you want for yourself. Yes. I mean, thank you for saying that. And thank you for preaching that loudly through your book and through all your work, because I do think that there is this school of thought that this victim mentality, right? Like I wasn't raised, I wasn't born with resources, or I am a woman, or I'm a minority, or, um, you know, I got all these sort of challenges. I have student loan debt, whatever it is. So therefore, I can never amount to much. I'm never like the the system is working against me. I mean, you're an example of like, there was no system for you. Right. You can always restart. You can always restart. Always restart. Yeah. So now you're in it. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're um, climbing uh, your career in your, you're still in your twenties, right? I would. Yes. Okay. Still. <laughs> still. Oh, I'm 28. Yeah. The tragedy of still being in your 20s. Well, um, <laughs> tell me a little bit about how you're managing your money today. This is a question that actually is in partnership with our sponsor, Chase. We ask list, uh, readers uh, right now if they can share uh, an ex- sort of a, a tidbit, a sort of strategy that you have that helps you with your money to uh, ultimately make you feel like you're financially secure. Yeah. Well, um, as you, as I, you heard me say, I have a very cute understanding of not having 
money. <laughs> so now that I'm making more money, I, I'm very conscientious. And I think even back then, um, there's a strategy that really has helped me kind of understand and manage my finances more. And that is by operating as if um, I had less, right? So like I, I always document everything, all of my expenses, and I always round those expenses up. Um, because whatever I'm trying to compartment or uh, separate my accounts, I'm always um, thinking that I need to put more aside than I actually do so that when, when I do have money put aside, that can automatically all go to savings. Um, another thing that I do is I, I like to have very separate accounts. I think I have like four or five different accounts, uh, whether it's savings, I have like two debit accounts, um, and I, I really try to separate them as much as possible. So whether it's like um, savings that I need for like a rainy day versus long-term savings, um, then I have like another account that's very specific to my household expenses and then other expenses that are more like your cell phone bill or your electricity bill. Um, and then like a separate account for going out, um, whether it's to the movies or dining. And I think I've always operated kind of in a, in a way where it, 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 I've always tracked what comes in and out very closely. Um, like I was just looking at my old Lily Pulitzer agenda from way back then. And I like documented every day back then when it was just like odd jobs, like everything that I made, whether it was like three forty three or like $200, I would document that every day. I would add it up for the week. This is when I was really struggling. And then I would, you know, document every single expense and put it aside. And so for me, just being very diligent about all my separate accounts and knowing exactly what goes in, exactly what goes out and rounding up my expenses has always made me feel more comfortable about, you know, my finances and how much I have in each account. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Compartmentalizing, visualizing, visually seeing what you have for every category of expense that's important to you. Yeah. Yeah. That, that goes a very, very long way. Well, what's next for you? I mean, let's see, you've got on your resume author at uh, MSNBC, (laughs) you're a booking producer um, for Morning Joe, which is the show that Mika co-hosts with Joe Scarborough. You also are a contributor to NBC News Digital's Know Your Value. I see you do a lot of cool interviews and you're getting a lot of on camera time and off camera time. And so what's your, what do you love doing the most right now? I mean, I think one of the things that um, really puts everything together is like storytelling. I know that's kind of um, very specific, but I, I love telling stories and I, you know, growing up in Ohio and like in the small town that I did, I never really saw the stories um, of my community and of people of my background in the way um, that I wanted to to see them. And so I think that, you know, in my role as booking producer, I, I try really hard to find new voices, um, minority voices, people that have written great reporting, but maybe ha- don't have the platform that they deserve for the type of work that they've done. So that's really important for me. I've been able to connect with so many amazing young people around the country that not only are they immigrants, but they're suffering from their own sort of struggles and trying to find ways to overcome their own, um, you know, narratives of what they should be based on their background or, you know, own personal baggage. 
And, you know, this book has allowed me to really um, build a community and, and, and speak to other young people who are really yearning for the message of, of how to build their own narrative. Because I think nowadays it's just partly it's generational. So many people want to make a difference and have a purposeful um, life and career. And so having a having a, a little bit of, of an impact on that and especially young people around the country is something that I'm really passionate about. So I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes and, and, and to continue spreading the message of, you know, overcoming barriers and, and writing your own story and narrative. And I'm excited. I'm excited to see what's ahead. So are we. Thank you so much, Daniela, and congratulations on all the, on everything. And I mean, it's only the beginning, obviously, from undocumented to going to college, coming out debt-free, becoming a producer for Morning Joe, and now a, an author, and you haven't even hit 30 yet. You're, you better have some pretty good, you're going to have a really great 30th birthday party, I think. I think that's going to be a great milestone. <laughs> and I have to ask you, how are your parents? Good. You know, my, my, um, my dad's a permanent resident. Um, so it, it, things, you know, this is part of the conversation with immigration is, um, it's very complex and, um, it's, it's, it's stories that need to be out there more so that people understand that, you know, it's, it's as easy as filling out paper wrong that could get you in the situation. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough situation to be in. Well, again, we wish you continued success. See you on the the tube. We we'd love to see more of you on the screens because you you're just you have a great story. It's an important one to share, and no doubt, not your only story left in you. Lots more to come from Daniela. Thank you so much, and have a great rest of your summer. Thank you so much, and thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much to Daniela for joining us. You can follow her on Twitter at Bravo. You can also check out her work on the Know Your Value website. That's at NBCNews.com slash Know Your Value. And her book again is called Earn It, Know Your Value, and Grow Your Career in Your 20s and Beyond, co-authored with Mika Brzezinski. All this information is at somoneypodcast.com. You can go there and get the transcript, the audio, and also leave me a question for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. If you like the show, would love for you to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. It's a great way to support the program. Every Friday, I'm selecting a new reviewer to receive a free 15-minute money session with me. So if you're interested in connecting and and you want to leave a review, just put it out there. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody, and I hope your day is so money.